Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. So we want you to turn with us to Proverbs chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Here's what it says. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. I want you to notice the following verse that comes up. He talks about loving favor. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. The loving favor of God is when a good father graces you with the ability to be blessed in every avenue of your life. So the Lord is saying, don't go and seek after riches and gold. Go and seek my approval, my blessings, and the rest will follow. Well, where is that in Scripture, Pastor Bobby? It's found in the Gospels when Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. So it's a heart condition here. So he goes on further, and he's trying to talk to them, uh, convey the message, and say the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. In other words, a a man of wisdom, a person of wisdom, understanding, will understand the troubles that do come and hide himself from evil or protect himself. But the simple pass on and are punished, which I believe is referring to the living with the consequences of not being aware. By humility and the fear of the Lord, And the fear of the Lord is exactly what it means. We fear God more than we do men. Not fearful that we're going to receive a spanking from God, right? A whip from God, or he's a taskmaster. But to know that we're made in the image of God and we are going to receive the consequences of things that we sow, the blessings of God, or the consequences of being corrected by a loving Savior. So by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. And here's what we're going to read. Here's what I'm read, read all that for. Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. And when he is old or she is old, she or he will not depart from it. To every parent who has raised children, you feel like you didn't do a good enough job, I want to just put emphasis on verse 6 where he says, when he is old. How many of you have children, they have moved on, but in your eyes, they're still your children? I, I have one that has been married, is married, moved on, but I still train her in my own way. You never stop being a parent and a grandparent, and an influence. In other words, your life matters whatever stage you're in. But in this portion of Scripture, the writer begins from verse 1 to talk about the heart. Really, it's really the heart because where your treasure is, your heart will be also, right? And it goes through and gives uh, some, some precaution about snares and thorns and things that can get you entrapped in. And we've all been entrapped in the rat race, right? And they said the one thing that God has in common with the rich and the poor are the 
are, are the fast rat and the slow rat is that they both get the cheese, right? Or they both, no matter what, it's still the rat. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, you're, you're still human. Because we have that analogy we use with life so far, we've got to get that cheddar. Got to get that money. Got to get it there make success. We've got to do this. Got to do that. And the writer says, slow down a little bit. I'm the Lord of the rich and the poor. And I can supply the needs of the poor. And I can slow down your process of getting riches. But at the end of the day, all that matters is, are you living the way you've been taught? And so I think it's really important to God how we raise our children and how we're being influenced by the children as children of God. The subtitle for today's message, along with this series, is called Who's Raising Your Children? Or Who's Raising You? Will you pray God bless it like a good meal? Will you say, Lord, bless this to the nourishment of my body? Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, as the rain falls, so let your grace and mercy and wisdom be in this house. God, anoint us to speak. God, let it be a little bit of me and a whole lot of you. Let every heart for everyone here that loves their families and wants to do your will receive instruction today according to your word. And we will thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, amen. Give him, because he's worthy, a hand clap of praise and tell him thank you. Thank you. Turn to your neighbor before you're seated and tell them, get ready. It's going to be a bumpy one today. And you can be seated. <laughs> I've warned you. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm fixing to do something here that I think needs to be addressed. An elephant that is in this, in our culture, that most of us may be aware and not aware. I give this disclosure before we begin, and I want you to hear me loud and clear. We judge no one. We do not judge anyone. God did not call us to judge people for being good or bad or whatever. The word of God will judge us. And the scripture says also judge righteously, meaning making right decisions and executing the best of your ability, the will of God for your life and your loved ones. But there is such a, there's a movement right now in the earth, in the world, in, in the United States, in Texas as well. That if we don't become aware of what's coming down the pike, if we're not aware as family, as families, we understand the influence that other children have on our children, that the work environment has on us as we go back home. And the real issue in life is the condition of our heart and what we're prepared for. And in preparation for our families, there's nothing better than training up your children and causing them to understand what God's will is for their life. We're living in an hour right now where religion is not going to cut it. Religion will not work. Being dis disciplined in your habits with coming to church alone 
is not going to cut it in this generation. If you have children or have grandchildren or if your children are old already and they've moved on, you are still an influence in their life and still have opportunity to show them the way and train them in the way they need to go. They may not think that, but you do. You do. They will look at what you approve or disapprove by the actions in your life. And right now, there is a movement happening in our nation that I'm going to play for you. For those of you watching online right now, we are not going to dis- you're not going to see this on your view right now because of copyright infringements. But we're going to put a link in the chat, and you can click it later and go watch this. But for the sake of our family and what we're dealing with in our nation, I want you to put on your seatbelts, and I want you to watch this right here. Once again, we are not here to judge anybody, but we are not here to either sit back and watch our children be persuaded by somebody else in values and conviction. That's one of the reasons why we believe in having a strong children's ministry here at Riverside Church as well. Um, And our children's department, I think they do a wonderful job. What we are here to do, we're here to understand the difference. The passion, if you recognize the passion that's there, in some cases far outweighs the passion you find in Christianity. Don't throw rocks at me yet. I'm, but I want you to hear me out. Don't, don't judge the whole thing till you hear the whole thing, right? So here's what we need to recognize. Here again, the messages here at Riverside Church are for the families of Riverside Church. As pastors, we are here to uh, help you lead the way, uh, follow us as we follow Christ, but also protect you and do some things that are necessary for us to get closer to God. And that's why one of our values is the family. We value the family. And so the job of the church is to begin to teach and influence the families and encourage them to train their children. If not, we lose a generation. What we are seeing right now in our nation is doctrinal beliefs that are totally contrary to the Bible. And if you are a Bible believer, you are judged for being evil and judgmental. I am not going to deny, this is not the sermon of the time to talk about whether or not a person was born a certain way or they weren't, or if it was a spirit, or if it's a physical condition. But I do know that there are things that are happening in this world that, that, that are totally contrary to the Bible. So what, what do we do? What do we do in times like this when you come around people who believe that you need to teach your child and let them decide whether or not they're going to be a boy or a girl. What do you do? Because I have a lot of people that I've talked to, that people in this church that come to me and say, they're my side of the family. We have friends that they, I can't say anything about what's right because it's, I'm being judgmental. 
More important than saying something is living something, let me tell you. There's an old saying that goes, I can't hear what you're saying because what you're doing is screaming in my ears. The days of hypocrisy have to go out the window if we're going to live and see God change our children, our grandchildren, our brothers and sisters, our parents even. And what's going on in our nation is that they are pushing these agendas very strongly to normalize it and say it is, it is right, you are wrong. Who are you to judge? Well, first of all, as a Christian, my opinion doesn't matter. But the word of God does matter. So I don't stand up against something more than I am standing up for something. And the passion that we find in the church is almost being dampened because there's a, a fierce passion that's rising up in pockets in our nation that is a flame going to flame. Listen, what you saw up there, and I'm not trying to encourage anyone to go start picketing or be judgmental. The truth is, is that one of the reasons why we are losing this generation is because the church has been so judgmental that all we have done is give rules and regulations but never built relationships to prove to people and here's the message there's a better way god can heal god can deliver god will do it the evidence is in my life time for hypocrisy and religion has to go out the window because this generation isn't looking for more doctrine they're looking for an experience and they're looking for a community they're looking for a community, and the only community that will be able to see them change is the church community that's filled with the Spirit of God and has a genuine walk with God that you don't have to tell anybody what you believe. They can feel what you believe. They can see through your actions what you believe. Understand that when you take a stand for God and you follow the word of God and you're doing what's right, sometimes you can be labeled as a, 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 a liberal or a conservative. We are neither liberal nor conservative. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Jesus was misunderstood because he ate with the sinners and hung out with the tax collectors. But to those who knew who he was, they understood he was evangelizing and he loved everybody and gave his life for all. So when people and the disciples asked him, who do men say that I am? They said some, the prophet Elijah, you know the story, some Jeremiah the prophet, some John the Baptist resurrected. And then he asked the disciples, that's fine. They know, they think they know who I am, but who do you say that I am? People that were in his circle. He didn't, he, he had family, but his church or his 12 was his circle of influence. And your sphere of influence is your children, your husbands and wives, your, your, your immediate family and your worker, co-workers and those around you. And when someone asks you what you believe, you can't be ashamed of it. You can't be fearful of it because there's a difference there's a difference what's at stake here here's what's at stake 
and you can do the research, but I actually took a copy from an insert from CNN. I don't watch CNN, and if it rubs you the wrong way, I don't watch Fox either. <laughs> you don't know what I am, and I want to keep it that way. <laughs> February the 16th, 2018, judges give grandparents custody of an Ohio transgender teen. In Hamilton County, an Ohio judge gave custody of a young girl who refused to be identified as a male or identified as a girl. And her parents refused to let her take hormonal shots. Or in some cases, uh, we have doctors in the house, right? Puberty blockers, blockers uh, and, and to stop certain hormones in a, in a girl. If she wants to be a boy, they put more hormones. If a boy wants to be a girl, they inject them with hormone blockers. And now because a, a girl, a young girl under age said that her, it is, it was a Christian family, and they used the Christianity belief system as being judgmental and tormenting. And the court stepped in and said, because of her Christian family, she has now suicidal tendencies for not being accepted. So they took away their custody and put it under their grandparents. And the grandparents, believe it or not, were for her. And now she's known as a male and undergoing treatments without the consent of her parents. And while we are just coming to church and enjoying the presence of God and the blessings of God, our government, correct me if I'm wrong, had just passed a bill where they made a movement for parents, you don't have, they don't, children do not have to have a consent from the parents. Eventually they can do what they want if they want to be whatever they want to be. And this is in the making. And I don't know if you just heard what I said. I just said the government can come in and take your children from you if they choose to be a boy or a girl, whatever they want to be. And because of what you believe, it's being labeled as suppression. This is the hour that we are living in. This is the elephant in the room no one wants to talk about. But this church is going to teach, is going to explain, give strategy, and we are going to embrace the presence of God, and we will not make apologies for who we are. We love people. We love God with all of our heart, and we love and we're thankful for what Jesus has done for every single one of us. <laughs> Jesus died on the cross for all humanity, rich and poor, influential, non-influential. He died for everybody. Let's just get this out of the way so we can move on. We love everyone. We're not 
separating ourselves from anyone. We don't think we're better than anyone else because the blood of Jesus has now leveled the playing field. And if it's, if it's biblical, which it is, if it wasn't for the blood, none of us would be here. None of us would be here if we had not been forgiven, if we have not been raised by grace, and have not found the mercy of Almighty God. How many of you believe that? And how many of you are thankful for that? So this is happening across our nation. But once again, I just want to say this one more time. Religion isn't going to cut it. And if you don't understand the consequences of our eternal salvation is based on the lifestyle that we live now. And it's not that we are judgmental, but we understand and we will be judged by the word of God according to our words and actions. At the end of the day, every knee shall bow and all tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, no matter what you think, no matter what I think, no matter what the five of us that just clapped thought. Let me say it again. One day, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you don't have to apologize about it. Where we get it wrong is, and I feel like I have to say this, but I've got to get it out of the way because it's in my spirit. And apparently it's in the, it's somewhere around here, but I'm not going to point you out. I know. I know. There's conflict and there's different opinions and and all of this, but you want to really know what we're dealing with in America right now? What we are dealing with in America is, is the absence of parental guidance throughout the years. The parents that have been missing in the lives of the children who have now grown up and they're now burning cities, they are now crossing over and dealing with God's creation and saying we're our own gods and we can do what we want and there is no such thing as heaven and there's no such thing as hell you don't want to miss next week pastor caleb's talking about hell you got that right he's talking about it and he's not talking about it to put people down or put people fearful but he has to prove it doctrinally that it's no pressure but you got to prove it doctrinally that is in the bible it does exist because progressive Christianity right now is saying there is no hell. Remember, God did not create hell for his people. Hell was created for the devil and his soldiers and sin. It's God's trash bucket. But you're not trash. You've been bought by the blood sanctified by the spirit you are of value in the eyes of god but that doesn't change the things we have to deal with point number one and what we want to talk about today is this what you allow in moderation will be done in excess how do we turn the family around it doesn't matter how old your children are it doesn't matter uh, how old your grandchildren are Point number one, you have to get it down and understand this. This is wisdom. What you allow in moderation will, will be done in excess by your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and everyone else. And everyone else. We call it, in some cases, gateways. 
I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to make somebody feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it because I think we need to see. I think we just need to see this. And I'm going to raise my hand for every question I ask that I've been, that God delivered me from these things. But how many people here uh, used to be alcoholics? How many people here used to be drug addicts? Hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. Now, those of you who didn't raise your hand, look around. Look what God has done. And, 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 so, and so, put your hands down. Now, now here, here, here's what I want to ask you. Uh, raise your hand again if you know that you've been set free, free by the love of God. Raise your hand because God loved you. Okay, now put your hands back down. And for those of you that aren't watched that can't see this, almost everyone, half of everyone and more have raised their hands already. But let me ask the last question. How many of you, at one point in your life, your parents made you come to church, but then you ended up loving church? Raise your hand. Okay. Case in point. And most of you that raised your hand are older now. You're older now. No one had to, I can tell you, no one had to dress you this morning. Right? No one had to change your diapers, right? Your, your family was training you. Because they were thinking long-term. In fact, they were thinking eternity. So the church is here to encourage people, to encourage you to live a life, and to make you aware that there are things that become gateways that we allow, that what we do in moderation, the next generation will go wide open with it. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit gives every one of us convictions, right? We all have convictions. Am I right? We do. We, we have convictions. There are some things that we won't do, some things that we will do. And then we question why don't other people have convictions about that? Well, let me explain that. And here's the, the case in some, in, here's the deal in some cases. Could it be, and, and I want you to think about this, could it be that because when they were little, their parents didn't have a conviction about it, and when they saw their parents doing it, they thought to themselves, hmm, if, if mom and dad allow it into their hearts, it must be okay. See, this is the life that we live. This is you. Or this is us. See, no one can see what's on the inside. Oops, got them faced the wrong way. No one can see what's on the inside but God. But when sin comes into our life, you know, God sees the darkness. God sees everything that's there, and no one else can see it except those that are close to you. And could it be that, according to Romans chapter 1, that the conscience becomes seared, and we have no conviction about right or wrong because we've ignored the tenderness of the Spirit of God working in our life. And when we brush off the conviction of God, God is not, he'll try to send somebody your way to help you understand there's a better way. That's what God wants to prove, to change our hearts. Where is that in the scripture? Here it is. The goodness of God leads to repentance or a changed mind. It's through the love of God that he tries to persuade people differently. But once you are a child of God and you know better, that's where discipline comes back in. I mean, 
we're living in a day and age right now where the chancla is outdated, I know. But that's why I buy OtterBox cases for my phone. It's faster than the chancla, I'm just telling you. My kids don't mess with me, they know. I've missed a few times, I've got some holes in the walls, but I'm just saying right now there's no consequence for a lot of the things people do. We tolerate some things, but God will only tolerate for so long, and he doesn't try to come and kill you and <laughs> smash you. God actually says, okay, if that's what you want, go right ahead. Because the price will be paid in the next generation. And the next generation. In fact, the scripture says up to three and four generations. See, we, we, we think there's no consequence, but there is. A little bit goes a long ways. A little bit goes a long way. So gateways are things that we allow. I, I have to be very careful. In my family, people like to cuss. My father, he wasn't raised in church, but he loved to do that. And I promise you, the worst thing I say, well, I don't, I just don't do it. There's one word I say, oh. there's one word I say that, that is borderline, and that's as bad as it gets. It's C-A-C-A, but anyways, that's it. But the Holy Ghost has convicted me of so much more that he cleaned me up on the inside because I know that if, if I don't allow the Spirit of God to regenerate me, to cleanse me, then I don't care how hard I try, eventually it's going to pop out of my mouth. Or eventually, if it's something else, it's going to feed. I'm going to feed something not unknowingly. I'm going to drop this in there. This is a little extreme, but it's a good example how... I believe it was Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't think it was him. Maybe it was someone else, but Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy who, thank you, son. Ted Bundy who said that when asked in an interview, where did his mind get bent? Where was it in his childhood? Or what did something happen in his childhood that caused him to start to go that direction and become a serial killer? And you, you wouldn't believe what he said. He said... It was when my mom and dad started getting Sears catalogs and he would look at the lingerie section and it enticed him. Now the question is, how many of us have had the Sears catalog come to our house when we were little? Yeah, all the ladies are going like this. All the guys are you know, holding their heads down, right? Don't lie to me. Everyone had the Sears catalog come to their home. J.C. Penney's. J.C. Penney's. Thank you, sir. So the point is, the point is, is that it was a harmful thing, but the culture made it okay, and it caused somebody to stumble on it, and it led to something bigger. It doesn't take much. That's why when you raise your children or you have certain convictions in your home, you make no apologies for it. You just simply take a stand and say, as for me and my house, we're not going to do that here. When you move out, you can do what you want. But in this house, we got to keep it clean. 
There's a reason why. Now listen to this, 1 Corinthians 5 and 3 and 8. And again, we're trying to encourage you and challenge you. Uh, it's never too late to start fresh and to start new and, and to do the right thing in the eyes of God. Not in everyone else's eyes, but in the eyes of God. 1 Corinthians 5 and 3 says this. The apostle Paul writes to Timothy. Or he writes here to the Corinthian church, even though I am not with you in spirit, I am, I'm not with you in person, I am with you in spirit as though I were there. Now listen to this. If this doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what else will, but he's literally saying to them, I'm not there physically, but in my spirit I am there. Now that's not making a, 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 a small suggestion of I'm supporting you like you would say to your family, I'm not there, but I'll be with you in spirit. Not the same thing. He was When you study the scripture out, Paul had experiences that were beyond the human reasoning. In one point of scripture, he said, at one point, I was caught up into the heavens. Whether in the body or in the spirit, I do not know because it was just as real to me as anything else. So when he's saying right here, I'll be with you there, I'm going to see you there. I'm there with you. He was saying literally, I was there in spirit. I will be there. You must call a meeting of the church. I will present you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Then you must, listen to this now, very extreme, but, but the Corinthian church had some problems. And in this case, there was someone in the church that was living a lifestyle that was persuading other people. When you look at the commentary, it was causing the church to stumble. And as an apostle, an under-shepherd to the great shepherd, he felt responsible that he had to come in and deal with it in this extreme matter. And he said, you must throw this man, verse 5, out and hand him over to Satan, that his sinful nature will be destroyed and him, he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. The day the Lord returns. So he's saying to him, more important than that, God loves us so much. Even though this guy has ill intent and he's trying to trip up the church and he's causing a lot of problems, I want you just to release him. You've got to excuse him from the congregation. I've turned him over to the devil. That's what he wants to do. Let him do it. But at the end of the process, at the end of the day, God wants to save his soul. That's powerful. It should bring the fear of God on us. But we don't talk about these things. Here's what happened. You're boasting about this terrible thing. You're boasting about this is terrible, he said. Don't you realize, he said, there were some people that were mocking, making fun of it and boasting about some of this stuff. But don't you realize sin is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast. By removing this wicked person from among you, then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast. Because here's, here's, here's what happened. In the Corinthian church, there was a guy, and they were living, and God saw it and saw the sin. And when more sin came into play, this is what it has, because this is yeast. What yeast actually does when mixed in with the right component and sin comes in, there is an overflow of sin, and it goes way further than you intended it to go. 
and it will continue to go whether you like it or not. Last night, I put a cap on this in a little hole. I couldn't stop it. How many of you have ever said in your life, I'll just do a little bit and I'll stop here, but you never stopped? Okay, nobody else? Let me, let me try to dumb it down a little bit, make it a little bit more simpler. How many of you have said, I'm only going to have one piece of cake, but after that, it's just one piece, one scoop of ice cream. After that, I'm going to get back on, on the diet. No, I'm ready the whole week. We see you at the Baskin Robbins every week. Right? Just one time, God, just one time. It'll take you further than you really want to go. It'll take you further than you really want to go. Point number two. What we must do right now is loving relationships must be built. And through the love of God, the Spirit of God will flow into our families, into our marriages, into our grandchildren, into every area of your life. But you have to remember, it is up to you and I to control the small things that enter into our life. Because it may enter into your life small, but it will begin to expand in your family. And then you are accountable for the direction you have led your family. I, I had a talk with, our, uh, with my sons just recently. Both are pastors, right? So we're, we're talking about the seriousness of our calling and responsibility. And, and I read in James chapter 3 and verse 1, start talking about, he said, not everybody is a teacher. He said, James says, who was the brother of Jesus, said, for everyone who teaches will be judged more harshly. The fear of God's come on us when we talked about it. The fear of God came on me. I got to make sure I'm teaching the right thing and not just the right thing and not just a little bit where I feel good about it. I got to preach the whole counsel of God. I mean, I, I can't just choose and pick. We got to look at the whole thing. That's why we believe in the experience of God is more than just the, the cross. It's more than just being forgiven. It's more than just salvation coming at the cross. There is a baptism of water, God says, that it's like washing our sins away and we're born into the body just like the spirit baptism is for everyone. The full counsel of God. Today is water baptism Sunday. We're baptizing people after service today. Okay, we're... <laughs> We're baptizing people after church today. There you are. Make sure the cross is behind me. I'm in the right church. You see, the cross, the tomb, the resurrection, repentance, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, the full counsel of God. The cross alone isn't going to work anymore. Not for this generation. Neither is your foundational belief of water baptism. They want more. They want an experience. and see. They want to see the resurrected Christ for himself. They want to see and have proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Not that he gave his life only, which is powerful and is enough to have everything. I mean, listen, the blood is powerful. 
How many of you will agree? The blood of Jesus is powerful. It's vital. It's important. Being water baptized is part of the born-again experience. Study it. John chapter 3, 1 Peter. Read it. It's there. But then spirit baptism is what people are afraid to talk about. Because through spirit baptism and experience and encounter with God, he takes the little things that, you moder- that you've moderately done that sneak into your life and will destroy them by giving you a stronger desire. And when you are once addicted to whatever it was you were addicted to, you're now addicted to the spirit of Christ inside of you. And there's a greater force. That's why we say greater is he that's in me than him that's in the world. But I want to read you something here when it comes to relationships. You pass the baton of your legacy spiritually to your children when you live for him wholeheartedly. Here's the scripture. 2 Timothy 1, 3 and 5. Paul writes and says, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a, listen to what he says, a clear conscience. A clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. He's referring to the tabernacle. If you really know his origins and his studies in the tabernacle, it was in that place where the altar of incense was burning day and night, night and day. See, he said, in other words, a prayer life, that was a type of prayer. And he says, when, when, I, when I think of you, I'm coming to you with a clear conscience. Because night and day, I constantly remember you in my what? Prayers. I long to see you again. Or I remember the tears, your, your tears as we, as we parted. There was a godly love there. Notice the church leader, the pastor, the apostle was talking to the pastor. And he said, I, I felt your love. You cried for me. See, that was an apostle and that was a pastor, their relationship. I'm going to say this. I normally don't, uh, on the subject I'm teaching on, but I feel like I have to say this. This is why we believe every pastor needs a pastor. Everyone needs a pastor, someone to be accountable to, and it doesn't matter in the past if you've been hurt by one or mistreated by one, we need to forgive. We need to forgive. I have three men in my life that I call pastor, and I talk to them on a regular basis. They check me. They see how things are going. I have to go through and fill out forms, which I got one sitting at home right now. I'm fixing to fill out and let them know how I'm doing spiritually, how I'm doing in my marriage, how is everything going in my finances. I have to show them this stuff because it's accountable. Accountability. I'm accountable. Not a cannibal. Accountable. You heard me, Liz. So when we look at this. He said, I long to see you again, and I remember you, and I remember the tears that you had. But listen to this. He said, verse 5, I remember your genuine faith. You shared the faith that you first filled your, grand- that first filled your grandmother. You mean his grandmother was filled with the Spirit of God, the faith of God? That's right. Faith. Her belief system. But listen to what it says. It says your grandmother Lois and your mother and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. You know what the scripture says? 
scripture says, where sin doth abound, that what? Come on, somebody. Grace. What's this? Good works. See, the product of grace is good works. The product of grace is good works and what we do. And God said, where it abound in sin, how much more will this abound in your family? And Paul said, stir up the gift inside of you that was first given to you by the laying of the hands. And I saw it in your grandmother and in your mother. And just like sin comes out of our life, grace comes out the same way. It comes out the same way. Except now we're changing lives through the power of God. We don't change lives. There's nothing special about me. But there's really something special about the spirit of Christ inside of me and inside of you. And when we begin to live our life, everyone knows. Listen, you don't have to tell everybody that you're praying. They know that you're praying. They can see it. Only God sees your heart. But this, don't you notice how much more this is bubbling than sin? Thank you, Lord. That's so good. You know, whenever you allow the Spirit of God to overflow in your life, it will affect everybody around you. It will affect everyone in your children, every decision that you make. Come on, Haley. I, 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 just, I just have to keep in my mind that, that it's worth it. There may be some people here that maybe your children have grown up and gone. You're still, are they old? Like, how old? Because the scripture I, I read to you says, like old, like when they're your age, you're still here. But <laughs> old, it's not over. And your prayers carry weight. Amen. How many of you have children that have left the house already and you miss their presence there? How many of you are glad they left? <laughs> I've had one leave the house already, and, and, I'm, and I miss her, and, but I have two more, three more. And um, the reality of them leaving the house hit me, and I have a 12-year-old, my youngest boy, who's 12. And it, no one knows this except first service. <laughs> but I've done something that no one knew. I, I, when my youngest boy was little and just an infant, I stole one of his diapers and I put it in a drawer. And every now and then, I go and open up the drawer and I look at that little bitty diaper just to help me remember what they were, what my responsibility is. And there have been times only God knows I've taken that little diaper, I've held it to my chest, and I pray for them, and I start praying for all my kids. I don't have any grandkids yet, I have a grandpuppy. <laughs> and not too long ago, that grandpuppy, the little Houdini Shiloh, <laughs> snuck into the room, and that little diaper that I've been saving all these years, when I woke up the next morning and I put my feet on the ground, there it was, shredded. 
and I was so upset, then I was laughing, then I was upset, then I laughed. Because <laughs> I have a sense of humor. And I thought the kids are going to laugh at this. I got to tell them. I wasn't. And I got mad again. Never again. Then I said, bring Shiloh over. And then I realized I, I really have to start doing something and being intentional. So now, with my last one in the house, the youngest one, I try to do everything I can with her. I got him on the same workout routine with me. I talk to the place where I go exercise him. And I talk to, he's not old enough yet. He's almost there, but he's not quite there. And I talked to the director and I told him, I said, my kids are everything to me. And I said, I, I need my boy with me. I said, can you please come with me? I'll watch after him. I'll pay full price on the membership. I said, I'll, he'll be right beside me the entire time. And she said, sure. I said, I'm gonna honor that. That's an honorable thing. And now I take him with me. He's right by my side. And everything I do, he does. And does it just as hard. And before we do that, we come to the church and pray. And we spend time here. And I take time and tell him, son, this is what men do. This is what we do. If we build this physical man, we got to build the spiritual man. And I spend time with them and try to train them. And I'm tough on my kids sometimes. But very gracious in the way of the love of God. But we pray in the spirit, I will, and I do, speak in tongues. And I make no apologies about that experience because it is real and it's genuine and it's in the scripture. And when taught and revealed, it's a promise from the Father that's for today. And that experience and feeling the presence of God is what's going to save my children. And I can't be ashamed of it embarrassed about it or just because someone else doesn't doctrinally agree with me or understand it doesn't mean I have to stop it or shy away from it it makes me go into his presence harder because people have come too late I've experienced it in taste of the Lord and I've seen that he is good and has kept me a good husband throughout the years it's made me a better dad it's made me a better pastor it's made me a better friend it has made me someone that people can look to and trust and understand that what I do in private it will come out publicly it matters how you live. It matters what you do. The key to having a godly family is in building a godly home. That's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with that. The raising of a godly family is in the building of a godly home. In other words, here's how you build a godly home. The scripture says, take the word of God and put it on your doorpost. So you de decorate your house with the word of God. Put, go to the Hobby Lobby. Go to online. Go wherever. Get scripture. Make sure you got something, the word of God around your house. That's how you build a godly house. Let the, let the worship music play throughout the day. Get rid of the funk. You know, a funk. I said, funk. Get rid of the things that are contrary to the Holy Ghost and let worship music come on so you can worship God and feel the presence of God in building your home. When you have your grandkids over, worship God in front of them and start saying, this is how we do it, baby. This is how we do it. Say hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. See, they know nothing about that because they're not learning it at home. But when they come to God's house, 
My kids grew up baptizing dogs and cats. My kids grew up <laughs> laying hands on their friends in the bathtub. <laughs> My kids destroyed every holiday by making Jesus the priority. My kids were the elephant hunters. They killed the big rabbit on Easter. <laughs> and I make no apologies about it because today they're living for God. And guess what? I'm still training them. I still, they may, be, they may get older, but that's why I have that diaper. <laughs> to remind me, no matter how big your kids get, they're still your babies. And you're still responsible. So I don't get older and let loose and say, now we can have a good time together. Now we can let our, no, 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 no. That's a, you did all that work for nothing. You did all of that for nothing. You got to continue the legacy. You got to continue to let God lead you and God develop you and God grow you. The days of being religious and just going through the motions, it's not going to change this generation. We're not here to talk against anyone else that has a struggle with their identity. I can care less who's holding their little rallies around there and, you know, little, little clubs or little chapters, whatever. All I care about is that what we do in this house and how we teach our children and how we can help you raise your family to be an influence in the world. So when your kids get older and when you step out, you have a boldness about you. Not, you're not mean. You're not rude. You're just in love with Jesus Christ. And no matter who comes your way or what comes your way, you ain't budging. You ain't got to say nothing. The scripture says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Nothing can move me. Why? Because I'm standing for my children. I'm standing for the next generation. I'm standing for my church family. I'm standing for your children. I'm standing for your marriages. I'm standing because my life matters and there's an overflow in my life and whatever good things come my way, I believe the same thing will come into your families here today. That's the way it works. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Will every believer here just lift your hands and just begin to worship him? Can you do that today? We're just taking a stand and talking about the values of God and we're talking about the experiences of God. If you've not given your life to Jesus, just pray that prayer and ask him to forgive you and come into your life. Just do it right now. You know how to do it. You know how to pray. Just tell him, Father, forgive me. If you're here and you need God in your life, in your marriage, and in your home, just commit to him today and just tell him, Father, right now, I'm going to pray for you as you lift your hands. I'm going to release the mantle that's on my family. I'm going to release the anointing that's on my life as a dad. Honey, where you at? Come here, baby. Come here. We're going to release what's in our life as parents. Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. But we pray and we love God. And we're going to stretch out our hands. And we're going to agree that the same anointing that God has given us will carry over to your homes. In the name of Jesus, right now, we make a declaration that every family that's under attack in this house, we set free by the name of Jesus. Every family that has been attacked 
by their children's lives right now. Put a hunger in their heart, God. Let the anointing come from mama and daddy. Let every dad rise up in prayer. Let every mama rise up in prayer. Let every husband and every wife begin to seek you in the home. Let the home become a strong and high and exceeding tower in their family. Let it become, after Psalms 91, a secret place of the Most High God. And we will praise you, and we will worship you, and we will thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody, give the Lord a hand clap and tell them, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now let's worship God together. Come on, let's worship God together. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.